stepping back and stroking two. Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help and B takes it right to the rack. Welcome to a new episode of The Feed to Embiid. It is Saturday, March 26th, about 2.30 in the afternoon. I have my pal Tiago Scavia, a, a great writer, a colleague of mine from The Painted Lines, as you know. Tiago, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'm going to ask you the question because I know there's a big game tonight, a non-Sixers game tonight <laughs> that you're going to be very much glued into so who wins that that matchup tonight i think i'm taking houston to win that matchup and wow I, I think i'm taking them to win pretty handily Whew, interesting no uh i haven't watched much of houston to know any better but nova's starting to get that feel of that team that you know may have another run left in them for another championship they don't have the same scoring that they had in the past for those teams but they got a little bit of that feel going on so i'll take Villanova for sure you might be in a population by yourself. <laughs> Houston has the five seed is favored, by the way. Yeah, are they favored? Yeah, although yeah. it's dropped a little bit. It was from three, now it's 2.5. But still, when you're the five seed and you're playing the two seed and when you're favored, probably probably shows that maybe you were underseeded quite a bit. Yeah, they, they had their best player got hurt during the year. So yeah, imagine what it would be like. Interesting. Very interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. But uh, we don't talk about Houston here. We talk about the NBA team in Philadelphia. Um, the Sixers are three and zero this week. Um, they dropped a game to the shorthanded Raptors on Sunday, and then they come back. They beat the Heat without Butler. Uh, that, not without Butler. That def- they had definitely had Butler. Yeah. Uh, they lost. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, the Sixers were out Harden and Embiid. They beat the Lakers without LeBron and AD on Wednesday. Friday, they yesterday they smoked the, the the Clippers in a game where the Clippers were really never in it. They jumped out to a quick five nothing lead, and then after that, it was all Sixers um, throughout the remaining you know forty three minutes of play. Um, Tiago, so where do you think this team stands right now? Like, if you had to place them in the East, where would you place them? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question uh, because you can look at the standings and think, well, you know, Brooklyn, not a threat. Milwaukee, not the same. But to me, when you watch those two teams very closely, particularly Milwaukee and Brooklyn, um, I myself see the Sixers one step below those two teams. I don't really put much emphasis on Miami. I know some folks love that culture. I mean, there's more enough evidence to suggest that bubble run was just a bubble run, and this team is not really a title-level contender, although they are the number one seed in the East. Uh, But to me, I think, you know, Brooklyn, first off, that game that they had in Philadelphia, which, you know, there was a lot of outside stuff going on, and I think that played in the Sixers' performance a little bit. But that was a scary, scary, scary output that we saw from Brooklyn in that, in that matchup with the Sixers. And I think 
you know, getting KD fully healthy, Kyrie playing the way that he is. And now they've been able to add Drummond and Curry, right? And we don't even know what the situation with Ben. Even assume that Ben doesn't play. Uh, those two guys really help Brooklyn really elevate them to back to, I think, a top contending team. And I spent some time watching Milwaukee this week. Uh, they're playing phenomenal offensive basketball, man. Like, they have really migrated their offense outside of just, you know, Giannis isolation. Uh, Giroux has been absolutely phenomenal for that team. Um, doing a lot more off-the-ball stuff with Giannis. Uh, they mix and match different lineup combinations, which should be very, very hard to match up against. They can go big. They can go small. They have shooters all over the court. So I see the Sixers a little bit below those two teams, but that does not mean that, to me, they're going to be out by any – I mean, the Sixers can definitely hang on with those teams in the seven-game series, no questions asked. Yeah. So where do you put Boston in the mix? So Boston, I know folks are very high on Boston, and there's obviously reasons to be high on Boston. I think uh, the numbers over the last two months, month and a half, suggest a elite team on both ends of the court. Um, they're a tough matchup for the Sixers offensively because they have wing players, and we all watch the Sixers closely enough to know that they don't have a lot of athleticism, a lot of defensive-oriented players on the perimeter outside of one or two players. So. That creates a very difficult matchup for the Sixers. But to me, when I watch Sixers versus Boston historically, they've never really had an answer for Embiid since Embiid has taken a step up in his career. Obviously, when Embiid came in, Horford was a big uh, uh, pain point for him. But I just don't see it. I don't see it them being able to handle Embiid. I see guys getting in foul trouble. And once you put Robert Williams or Al in foul trouble – their defensive scheme just takes a massive hit. So I still need to see it. I know that was that game they played early in the year where they kind of whooped the Sixers, but that was what Harden had just kind of joined. Uh, they were shorthanded. I need to see it in seven games there. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident the Sixers can win in six against Boston. I don't know, but what do you think? I think right now um, I would put – so the, the tiers that I would probably go. Milwaukee, I'll give them the edge because they're the defending Eastern Conference champion um, and the, the defending NBA champion for that matter. Um, I would go Boston next because it, it, it isn't that Boston's record frightens me or would or should frighten anybody. It's that their point differential is obscene. They have the best point differential in the Eastern Conference. Um, I think they have the second best point differential in the entire NBA. They do. Um, so they are bludgeoning teams. Not not they're not they're not they're not winning. They are bludgeoning teams um, repeatedly over this stretch where they have won like a gazillion games out of a gazillion plus two. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're real. I think they figured some things out. I think they have as much shot creation um, as you could ask for out of players that are, that are perfectly sized, that they're hard to defend. Yeah. Um, their defensive versatility is insane. Um, I, I would pick them to be number two. I think the Sixers have earned the right to be number three just because um, – I mean, they, they they have James Harden. Obviously, he's an upgrade over Ben Simmons, net overall. Um, but also, like Embiid's the MVP, I think, and he 
I think they've held enough water this year amidst a lot of turmoil to earn that right to be like, hey, we've proven that we can do things, Um, you know, and and I think Brooklyn with the uncertainty around Simmons and and Kyrie being able to play, like if he can't play in Toronto and they lose, they could be, they they could be in, they're in a situation where they they had to win one game or go home. So there's a world, there's a scenario where Brooklyn doesn't even get to the playoffs. That's very true. But here's where I ultimately land on, right? So you got Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Boston. If you're to rank the top six players of those teams, do you even have a Boston player in the top six? So it was it was Philly. So take the 14 you just talked about. Right? Wait, 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 wait. So it's, it's Brooklyn, Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee. Milwaukee. So it's so it's Embiid, it's Giannis, um, Durant, Durant, obviously, yeah. Harden, still or no? You're not even. You're, wow. I don't. I don't know that I would put him in front of Tatum. Interesting. Would you? I still would. I just think that Harden's shot creation, uh, passing is. I mean, we've seen what he's done to the Sixers' offense, uh, yeah. the specific starting lineup. Uh, I'll put it this way: I think Harden's downside is a lot more volatile than Tatum's downside. Yes, I agree. I agree. So. I'll give Tatum the nod very slightly. Okay. I don't feel good about giving him the nod, but I think I would give it to him just very, very minimally because he's been great for a longer stretch of this season than Harden has. Sure. Um, So I'll I'll give him that, and then Harden's fifth, and then Kyrie Kyrie is probably sixth. So you got two Brooklyn and Milwaukee, maybe two Sixers, maybe like a Boston player there. It, 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 I, that's where I still struggle with Boston. I get it. I get the numbers. I get the players. I get the matchup. But there's still that top-level talent that I don't still don't see in Boston. Maybe this is Tatum's turn to finally prove to the world that what many people have said about him. Maybe this is his turn. We'll see. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, how would you rank the coaches? head coaches oh <laughs> i would go so i I'd probably go Ooh, this is hard so i, I actually i'll give the respect to ime yudoka wow as number one interesting number two With no track record of anything well I'll probably get bitten in the ass for that, but Ime Yudoka, because uh, I think what he's done is more impressive than what Budenholzer is. Like Budenholzer was literally a Kevin Durant foot in the line away from being fired. So, I mean, um, Yudoka, I'll go Bud, I'll go Doc, I'll go Nash. Wow. I actually much higher on Nash than people are. Uh, I do like watching Brooklyn play. They do some interesting things. Obviously, he's got some phenomenal talent around him. Uh, I would actually put Doc number two in that group, to be perfectly honest. Man, really? I'm not a Doc guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a Doc guy at all. You know, believe me, I know. <laughs> Trust me. But I think you know, and he's got a horrific track record in the playoffs outside of that, which should definitely factor it in. But I think if he just stays out of the way in the postseason and doesn't make any 
outrageous lineup decisions or in-game decisions, the Sixers should be fine, even with the, the kind of personnel that they have because the firepower offensively can be so potent. So I still believe that he's going to look at his lineup and say, listen, give and beat the ball, give Harden the ball, don't get cute, and go from there. So from that alone deserves a bump up in the rankings. What if – okay, fair. I think the Doc playoff thing is a little bit like he's, – he's had some three-to-one series leads that were blown, sure. Um, he's also had series where like his best players were like smitten with injuries. Those are separate series, but I think maybe his, his story plays out a little differently if those guys don't get hurt. But I, I, I think the more concerning undertone for Philly is that a lot of the issues that he ran into in LA issues that his own former players had like kind of like made shots at him about after last year, they've they've moved with him to Philly too. Like he hasn't learned. I don't think he's learned all that much. Um, but I, it's hard to believe that you're higher on uh, on Doc because I, I would never have guessed that you would have been higher on Doc than me because I don't. I'm not really all that public in my criticism of Doc. I do it in writing. I'm in my game stories, but but yeah. Um, wow. I mean, in that group of coaches, like I'll put Spo above all these guys in a heartbeat. But he, like you said, he's not part of that that, that group. Uh, there's a bunch of other coaches. That, Nick Nurse, I would put Nick Nurse way ahead of Doc. So, yeah. but in that small concentrated group of coaches, he's, he's not that far off. Yeah. So let's go over to uh, speaking of of lineup things. DeAndre Jordan has been an experience. Um, it has been. Ruthless, I think, is the is is the way to describe it. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's been horrendous watching Brandon <laughs> Jordan play. I mean, not very little has good good has come come from it. Um, I think last night I noticed this more than anything. The effort is is very disappointing. I think he he doesn't really like go all out to make contests uh, at the rim. Like he he may, he may like raise his arm to like. Get someone get a, get a hand in the guy's face, but he's not leaving the ground. You don't see him ever really jump unless he's jumping for a, a lob at the rim, and so he doesn't really like put, you know, doesn't doesn't really go all out to making tests. Um, last night there were loose balls that he was right in front of that he didn't that he didn't go for. He kind of just like I thought. <laughs> I think I saw him try to kick one. <laughs> so that, that long sport, DeAndre. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's been. It's it's been it's been not a good existence for DeAndre Jordan, um, but let's look at some of the numbers here with uh, the Sixers. Um, the opposition is scoring a uh, hundred points per half court play. Um, well, so per per hundred half court plays. Opposition is scoring 100 points, so one one point out point. That's 13th in the NBA, the uh, 13 percentile in the NBA. So, not great. <laughs> they're, they're, they're they're either essentially on average they're either scoring a a, a, a bucket um, or they're getting fouled, and that's on average the likelihood that they're going to be scoring a point. Um, and I think another you know another thing is like yes, he kind of just 
is a, he's a very good defensive rebounder. I think he, he, he will vacuum up all the rebounds near, you know, where, where in his vicinity, but I still am not convinced that like, like there are rebounds that he doesn't get to that. He should last night because of effort. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein caught an air ball from Luke Kennard and then put it back up and in. Like he caught it under the basket because Jordan yeah. did not box him out. Yeah. So, um, I think effort's a problem. I also think that, you know, th- the context in which um, in which the opposition is scoring with Jordan on the court is troublesome. On the court, opponents are shooting 76.1% at the rim with Jordan on the floor. 76. Yeah. So that's seven, it's 76.1% again when Jordan is on the floor. What, what's their uh, the net rating when he's on the floor? At some point it was like a – like a plus 40. The scary part is this. Opponents actually aren't even taking all of that many shots at the rim with him. Yeah. On the They're actually taking more threes with him on the court. They're taking 30, 30, of 37% yeah. of the shot distribution with Jordan on the court is threes. Which makes um, sense because you're like, the guy doesn't move. He just stands there. So. Yeah, and he, he doesn't move out. But also I think it's more along the lines of like we don't have dynamic shot creation in the units that he's playing in, like, like the opponents are thinking, Hey, he's coming in when our second units in, we don't have our our best shot creators are resting right now. Yeah. Let's let, 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 you know, so they're going to take more threes because they don't have guys that are as necessarily as crafty or dynamic. But I do think it makes sense that because he's anchored to the rim in theory, he's not guarding in space because that would be disastrous. They're taking more threes because they're getting open looks. Yeah. Um, But still, 76% 76% of, uh, of, of, of opponents shooting 76% when Jordan uh, at the rim, when Jordan's on the floor, that's unacceptable. Yep. Um, and then if we look at the, um, the net rating, I'm trying to find the net rating here with Jordan on the floor, uh, the Sixers are averaging <laughs> defensively. Uh, no, they're 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 scoring 116.9 points per 100 uh, on offense with him on the floor, okay. probably because he's playing next to like Maxi and 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 they they you know there are some good yeah peripheral players that he's with, but they're giving up 117 points per 100 with with him on the on the floor. That's 14 percentile. So they're scoring fine, but they're giving up more than that than what they scored. So. It's it's what we're what we're seeing here, the Indiana Jordan experience. He he doesn't make good contests at the rim. They're, they're shooting at everything they want at the rim. Um, he doesn't really get, like fight for loose balls. He doesn't get those very often. He will suck up the rebounds though. Yep. He is his, his touch around the rim is is, is hilarious. Oh, I saw that yesterday. I actually tweeted it. I I looked it up. Out of fifty players, he's got. 50 centers or 50 players that finish around the rim. He's got the worst field goal percentage. Yeah. Uh, which is outrageous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's touched the ball and dunk, man. <laughs> and here's the thing it isn't that he's take, he's posting up and nor that he's just missing hook shots or he's like going up against multiple guys trying to like out of the dunker spot. He's trying to catch lobs. They're throwing him lobs. He's missing the lobs or he's, or he's getting dunks and he's botching dunks. So let me ask you a question because like we all, we cover the numbers, like it's, it's bad all around, even though offensively it's okay. But when you play alongside Harden, you just usually stand there and it's going to be okay. 
Uh, what do you think, like, Doc wants out of that backup? Is it just rebounding and, like, leadership? A guy who doesn't do any stupid fouls? Like, what do you, what do you think he's looking for? Out of that? Somebody who was alive in the 1980s, probably. <laughs> a friend of his that he can talk to tonight and um, securities or something? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, I think when you ask Doc that question – you yeah, kind of, you kind of get like the like, oh, he's been great, you know, you know that kind of thing. I think the saving grace that only Doc really knows about and that would kind of validate that conversation is that schematically, he's the only one who knows where Jordan should be in position in the scheme because he's the only one that because Doc knows the scheme that he's running. Um, the, I would venture to say the media doesn't really know the specifics or like the, the finer details of, of his defensive schemes or what makes them any different than the oppositions. Um, so, you know, I, I think maybe Doc's, Doc's advantage is to say like, and he's, he's, he, his positioning is in accordance with my scheme, which it could be true. But I also know that the eye test says that it's a treacherous experience and that last night the Sixers were up 20 in the first quarter or whatever it was. As soon as I put Jordan in, the Clippers yeah. cut that lead to 10. Well, and here's what I lose it with Doc because you've had two years to bring up Paul Reed in your scheme. Two years. So you punted that opportunity. And then when you played the kid Bassey early in the year, like he flashed a lot of potential. And I know like it's a rookie, but you had a whole year to bring up this kid on your scheme. So I'm not saying you should anchor like all your hopes on Bassey and Reed because there's a lot of there is value to playing veterans in the playoffs. Uh, I do believe that. You can't just throw rookies out there and expect them to, to be okay. But specifically with Paul Reed, I mean, two years, man. And when you saw Paul Reed last night, like, you see some of the stuff that you talked about that Jordan does not bring, but Paul Reed can. So that athleticism, like he's active on defense. He's able to uh, deflect balls. Uh, he can somewhat finish around the round. I think Bassey's better at that than, than Reed. Um, so, and that's something they missed with, with, uh, with Drummond. Like Drummond was a phenomenal pick and roll defender. Like he was really, really good. He, he deflected a lot of balls, a lot of lobs. Uh, he, he was very active. So, uh, I don't see Jordan bringing any of those elements nope. to the postseason, And that is very concerning. Like that is extremely concerning because you're talking about critical minutes in four or five minute stretches here that could completely swing the game over. We saw that against Toronto a few years ago. We saw those Monroe minutes be absolutely catastrophic. Now I hope that with Harden on the court, the Sixers can kind of mitigate some of that offensively. Uh, but it's concerning, man. It's absolutely concerning. I think the biggest thing in the playoffs that really matters is defending in space. That's like, that's like right. the thing that's going to be really important because you play the Nets, you play the Celtics, you play any of those teams. They all have them. They all have guys like that. They have, well, no, but they have wings and guards who, if you're switching, because Harden does like to switch schemes, um, if you're switching in the minutes that Jordan's on the floor and he's forced to guard in space or give up open threes, they're going to pick you apart in those minutes. And you could very easily, um, could very, very easily lose a series in those minutes. So if he's playing, 10 minutes a game, you could easily get outscored 10 yeah. plus points in those 10 minutes that he's playing. And then that's your entire game. And you go, if you lose a series of seven games, congrats, you lost the series because you, because you played yeah. the Jordan. Um, 
we saw that with Kawhi. I mean, they, Kawhi be on the court yeah. Monroe, and it was like Greg Monroe. I mean, it was every single time until he here's the difference, though. At least, at least Brett exhausted all of their options. There was nothing left to try. Like, like Bolden was unplayable because he fouled everything he touched. Um, Amir Johnson had nothing left, um, and it was kind of like well, Boban could not move in space. So, what what else were you left with? I mean, that was what you had to do. In this case, Doc is foregoing the opportunity to test out younger legs for the sake of playing a guy who was clearly out of his out of his league right now. Um, speaking of shot creation, where do you where do you fall in the Miami Heat? Uh, in terms of the contender, or like yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't buy it, man. I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't buy them either, even a little bit. When your lead ball handler, you know, is a, doesn't really do a lot of stuff on the perimeter. We saw that with Ben here in Philly. Uh, yeah, he, he draws a ton of foul. He gets to the line, but um, I just don't think that's sustainable for a postseason. Uh, I know Kyle Lowry, and I haven't really watched Kyle Lowry much closer this year. Perhaps you have a better take on what Lowry looks like this year. I know he was playing really well last year uh, and the year before that. But. I thought he's been kind of passive. I think you could make a good argument that he is saving up for the playoffs, which okay. could be the case, and if it is, then – you know, it's that's it's a new element. I also don't think that you're gonna be getting anywhere special with Kyle Lowry as your number one shot creator. And I know like Raptors and Heat fans would say like, "Well, he won the championship and he had 29 points." Okay, but do they win the championship without Kawhi Leonard? No. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, they don't. And you can tell like how they struggle with shot creation because when you watch the Heat, they do a ton of like off ball movement they try to generate shots at a very uh unique level than most teams and that's got to be exhausting for a seven game series like you're always trying to like you know dribble handoffs here and something we saw a lot with the sixers when brett was here with jj reddick uh, and ben running point guard you have to manufacture a lot of looks and with the heat when you watch the heat they just have to manufacture a lot of stuff and i think that that just over time it just becomes too much for you in a seven game series so I don't, I don't fear them at all. I would love to play them in the playoffs, to be honest with you. I wouldn't love that because I don't feel like going seven rounds against the Heat Twitter. But, <laughs> Twitter is but um, I would – well, I shouldn't say that because, like, I think, I'm, I think I'm fairly neutral. But, I mean, I, I know that they'll be all over me, like, no matter what. Well, um, you've got – I thought you meant the defenses. I thought you guys – I thought I did, but I still get roasted. <laughs> um, they don't forget. They're like cockroaches. <laughs> they don't forget. Um, but like when it comes to, and, and, and they can say like, well, you know, Jimmy Butler and this and that, and, uh, and, you know, uh, the, like heat culture is not, go- is not a solution for, 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 for shot, for shot creation issues. He col- uh, the, the, what, what Jimmy Butler did five years ago is not a solution for today's shot creation issue- issues. Their championships with LeBron James in the court do not have anything to do with today's shot creation issues. You can't just live in the past and say that we won three championships in the last 15 years. We're fine. Like that is not, that's not how that works. In today's game, they, they can run split actions for, for Duncan Robinson all they want and, yeah. and, and, and try to diversify their, you know, their, their, their offensive game all they want. The bottom line is that with Tyler Hero on the floor, he's probably oh. the best shot creator. And defensively, defensively, it's a disaster. We yeah. saw that game. We got bullied, bullied by the Sixers. Yeah, that was. Um, a- and 
I don't know that you can trust him as your number one shot creator, at, you know, like a six man. I, I don't know that you can do that. Um, I also don't, I, I'm, I'd be concerned. He's in a switch scheme because again, if you're going to run different actions for Duncan Robinson to curl around screens, defenses are just going to switch that. And then you can't get the shot off that, yeah. that you can get off against weaker teams that are out of the playoffs and, 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 you know, that, like that are, and they're not fighting through every screen that they will be in a series. So yeah, I have to stuff with Duncan, like they, those, they'll, he'll come off a screen and then like do a little dump off pass to dive in like bam. So they have ways of like kind of playing off how defenses like attack those actions. But like you said, it's just, it's just manufactured stuff. You get hit with it once, twice, then you flip your scheme and you make your adjustment, and now you're, 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 you've got them under control. Uh, I would love to take down the Heat and have the Jimmy Butler blow up <laughs> and be the reason why. <laughs> the Jimmy no comment. I, 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 I wish them all the best. <laughs> um, let's go over to Tyrese Maxey because I think his emergence – has changed the world for the Sixers. Um, people, um, th- th- you could say you could speak on hyperbole a lot. You could say, uh, if it weren't for this guy, you know, like, like the, this, this story is the biggest story in the NBA this year season. Without Tyrese Maxey's growth, I'm not convinced that they do the Harden trade this trade deadline and rather they wait until the summer to do it, really. But Let's say they let's say they, they allow that. To, let's say they do that and allow it to happen. Kyrie comes back. Maybe Harden doesn't want out. Yeah, that could absolutely have changed the entire trajectory of their whole season. Yeah, uh, Kyrie's Maxi's emergence, um, and what he's doing as the third guy is very real to me yeah. because of the way in which he's doing it. Like not only does he, like he he has a penchant for making difficult shots for sure, and um, you know he 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 can do a lot, he manipulates the game with his speed and can get up and down the court in in a blur, but his shot distribution I think is really encouraging in that if he catches the ball on the wing or on in the corners, he's registering where the defense is and he's and he's reading it from there and just going like if, yeah. if, if, if he's wide open for a three, he's taking it off the catch and he's getting really comfortable with that. Yeah. If then if, if it's a heavy closeout, he waits for them to get there and then he's bursting around them and he's attacking and, and he's getting, he's allowing them to chase him off the line, but he's using that to his advantage and he's getting to the rim. His finishing around the rim has not really vacillated. He'll have a game here or there where he can't get the crazy ones to fall like he usually does. But in large part, the play at the rim has allowed him to really stay afloat at times when his jumper maybe wasn't there this season. And his three has finally caught up. He's punishing unders now on the screens. Everything he's doing suggests that he's a legitimate number three. And it isn't even like he's making plays on just on, on an incredibly high volume. It's that he's his, his volume has risen, and so has his accuracy. So has his efficiency. He's getting to the line a ton more now. Um, I could not be more impressed with what he's doing. And I, 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 judging by what I think his work ethic is based on what he's done so far in his growth, who's to say in two years from now, he can't be a plus defender 
um, who is one of the best guards in the league. Yeah, he's been by far the biggest beneficiary from Harden. I mean, just from a play style, which is speaks volumes to the player because if you look at like Tyrese's, like he's been asked to do a lot in a very short amount of time with the Sixers and just being 20, 21 years old. And he's constantly adapted around Embiid and adapted around Harden. And, you know, playing off Harden's gravity, attacking those driving lanes when Harden gets trapped, just attacking the rim. Extremely impressive. Uh, I think he absolutely elevates when we talk about the Sixers being a championship contender this year. I think Maxi's absolutely the X Factor. I don't see Harris being the X Factor. I think they're gonna- <laughs> I don't think so. And, and, and I'm like, I'm not as critical as I think Harris has been better than a lot of people have kind of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's way better, but I still think that you just can't trust him to be. No, you can. And you can start to see reasons why you can trust Maxi. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will say a couple of things. Like, on the finishing around the rim, one of the things I was watching very closely last night. Uh, so he still got that one speed to the rim, power, speed floater. And I hope but playing alongside Harden and watching Harden maneuver uh, as a ball handler, he can start developing some counters, right? So you're going to speed to the rim. There's two seven-footers, just seven-footers that are waiting for you there. You know, pivot, slow, try to freeze the defender in space, and then attack in a different way. I hope you start developing that because at times he get a little bit wild in his ability. He's very, very confident in that in that one hand, other hand floater. Uh, but sometimes it's not going to happen, man. You're just not big enough. You're not tall enough. So, but I think he'll develop that over time. Um, and I think defensively. So that, really, where I go with Maxi's defense because I'm, I'm very confident in his offensive game. Like I believe that you know fourth quarter, if you need a guy to take a shot, he'll take it, and he will make it. Um, defensively is where he's got to survive. And that, to me, still oscillates a lot with Maxi. So game like last night, I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he stayed connected through screens. He competed. Uh, he was very under control defensively. Uh, but then I was watching the game against Dallas, and, like, the ball gets swung out to Josh Green. Like, low-volume, three-point shooter, average shooter. Nobody shouldn't even be on a scattering port. And here it comes Maxi, like, closing out. Like, it's Clay Thompson 2.0. And I'm like, these are the things that you hope that he starts developing yeah. more consistently because there's no there's no reason why you should ever be closing out on Josh Green like it's Clay Thompson, period. And then the guy just pump fake, take, goes in the lane and gets an easy layup. So um, you hope that comes with experience because I think those are the things that are gonna really make him an all-around player. So, I mean, but like you said, I mean, the guy definitely changes the conversation from the Sixers standpoint. Uh, there's absolute start. I mean, you watch him play, no questions. So one quick note before I comment on his defense. Um, Tyrese's three-point shooting. Uh, Pull-up threes, he's shooting 1.8 per game. He's shooting 41.2% on those. That's, that's outstanding. Um, off the catch. Mind you, came, he came into the league as more of a pull-up shooter than an off-the-catch guy. Yeah. He's shooting um, – let's take a look here – 2.1 off the catch, 43.1%. So every his, his shooting has been one of the biggest growth points that you can you can touch. You can see it. It's like this is monumental. Last year he shot 29% from three. This year he's at 43%. Do you have his corner numbers? It's still, is it still in the 60%? Corner three is 58%. 58 Oh, he just dipped. <laughs> Only 58%. Last year? He was at eight <laughs> percent. 
<laughs> really? Eight yeah. percent? Oh, you probably took like five quarter threes last year or something like that. But uh, he took twelve. Twelve. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like automatic from the corner, man. Yeah. Like it's he's just... quad- he's quadrupled his volume from the corners, and he's yeah. and he's. That's a pretty that's a pretty impressive growth. Um, he's finishing at the rim. He took 118 shots at the rim last year, 58 percent of, of uh, and that's a 47 percentile. This year he's at 62 percent at the rim on 200 276. Um, he's maintained the volume. The volume's grown actually, and the accuracy has has risen too. Yeah. Um, the craftiness is 100 percent there. So all the signs on offense say that he is on his way to being an all-star as one of his outcomes. Um, defensively, I I like his low center of gravity. I think that helps him in a lot of ways get through screens, although right now he's a little bit thin, so he dies on screens a lot of the time. Makes It's going to make the Sixers have to switch or have to play drop or have to do like hedging. Um, but I, I think ultimately he'll build up body mass and then that will help him get through screens. I think the low, the low center of gravity and speed – Something he's going to help with. I do think that you're IQ, that you you are right. Like some of the things where he's chasing guys around uh, on closeouts that are don't garner that type of attention on closeouts is problematic because that allows them to that allows them to get you off balance and then attack the attack closeouts. But one of the big developments for him is number one, staying on the ground and not committing stupid fouls. Like I think there's times when he'll yeah. uh, get caught with like little ticky tack calls against more veteran. Uh, offensive players, or if he's like fighting through a screen, a screener who with more experience will like wrap up his arm and then get him get get him called for for an, a foul on the screen, and he'll pick up some fouls that way. But I think last like last night he stayed on the ground against Reggie Jackson, did a pretty good job against yeah, him. Yeah. Reggie Jackson isn't the gold standard, but he's a pretty good offensive player. Um, and I think that one of the things that off the ball he does really well, he's very good at like not very good, but he's getting better at reading passing lanes. He, he's, he, he can certainly get out yeah. and make, and cheat a couple times and make, and, and, and sit the ball out in transition and then uh, create, tr- create fast break opportunities from that. I think one of the things he really does very well when he anticipates a guy is stuck in the position and he has his back away from Naxi, he'll kind of uh, sell out and go to the, go to the guy's backside and trap him and, Force live ball turnovers that way. Like there are times out of the post that there's someone at like like, like let's say Jokic is playing out of the post and he doesn't see Maxi on his blind side. Maxi will sell out to make the, to, to trap him and then he'll tip the ball away from him and then get out in transition. Yeah. Um, those are things that those are like cheap, easy ways to get better at defense within a season. Um, they're risky. Like a guy like Jokic can punish you with a backdoor cut and then, and he can hit that passer or the shooter spaces out. He can definitely hit uh, if he see if he if he senses Maxi there, you can hit the shooter. But those are easy ways late in the shot clock to put a guy under duress and really have your impact defensively. Um, I it would it would be cool to see him like grow one or two inches. <laughs> I don't think he will, but yeah, that would be that would certainly make him something else. But I he gets those steals like sorry to interrupt you, but like if he get if he gets more active defensively, steals steals deflection. Like that's his that's his path defensively, man. Like you don't have to be like a perfect defender, but you know, like you said, play the matchups, understand who's on the court, create turnovers, and kind of just you know stay connected on screens. That's your path, I think, defensively, and then you're you're perfectly fine because what you're bringing offensively is tremendous. So. Yeah, I think also 
he's proven that he has a high motor. Yeah. And yeah. that motor will translate with his ability to pick guys up full court. I think he can I think right now he gives him a little bit of space when he picks up guys full court, but he's getting down in a stance full court and he's picking them up and sliding and making them change direction as they bring the ball up, which yeah. may not in the moment have much of an effect, but if you're if if you need two or three extra seconds to get the ball up the court because Maxie's kind of like in your grill. That it's time off the shot clock. Um, so here's the thing, though. So a couple of things. So I think one more thing on Maxi defensive is that he still gets call ball watching a lot of times. So guys yeah. will get behind him, which is a normal thing with young players in general. Uh, second thing is, and it's a bigger question to roster uh, with Max on the court, Sixers rebounding. Like, what do you think the problem is? Like, defensive discipline. They they. This drives me nuts. They are over the last couple of games, especially. They've done a really good job at preventing the first make. Like they 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 rotate. They are there in help positions. They deny that first shot. They 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 stay, they're staying down. They're not committing cheap fouls. They are holding their ground on the first on on the first shot. It's that they're then losing that discipline on the box out and allowing teammates on the opposition to get in there and get the offensive rebound and get tip outs or, or pull it down and pull the ball out of the, out and then swing it to the point guard to reinitiate the possession that they, they are not good. They're not well-disciplined in terms of finishing possessions off. So they, the losing the guy on the rebound, because I see the same thing. You think it's a function of just the style of players they have on the team or guys who don't want to get dirty or they're just more like, you know, I don't think that I just, I, 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 I just don't think, I don't know. Because like, I watched a guy like Tobias Harris, who averages freaking 10% rebound rate for a power four, which is ridiculous. Uh, and, um, like, you can tell he does not want to get dirty. He does not want to get in there. Rarely do you see him get in there and really throw these elbows out and kind of get get in, in the glass. And to me, that's a player makeup issue. So I don't know how you really fix that. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm over-reading it, but... Uh, I don't think these Sixers have these kind of like you watch Toronto. These guys are like attacking the glass. These are like hounds on the glass, man. I think it's the culture of the player they got they have in that room. They just they want to attack, they want to rebound, they want to create second chances. So I, I don't know. Like I I think Toronto also gets away with it a little bit because um, they're so athletic, they're so long. Yeah, that they, that they naturally make rebounding look easy. Yeah. Whereas when you're rostering Seth Curry and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris and other guys that are not rebounders, you have to put in that extra effort yeah. to really to really tighten up the possession. And I just don't think they do that consistently. Um, I think part of it is coaching because they because Doc should be in their ears every time they do that and like killing them, and making them feel like we can't. Like we have to remember the box hat every time Ross Doc's gonna be chewing us out. Yeah. Um, I also think that they're small, so teams can push a little bit um, and and can sort of use size against them. Mm-hmm. But I also just think that they see the shot go up. They're sometimes already thinking about getting back on offense, um, or you know they, they just they just they just flat out don't hold a box out. They don't. They, it's not part of this team's mo. Um, and they also give up a ton of dribble penetration, which is the point Embiid's got to rotate and yeah. it creates that vacuum underneath the rim. So, yeah, it's a mix of a lot of things. 
Yeah, and by the way, I think that is something where like Jordan is not the problem, but he's not the solution. But like the reason he isn't the problem is because the reason that he has to step up to even contest guys getting to the rim is because the other floor, the other four in the court are not cutting off angles and they're not sliding and they're not beating guys spots. That's how offensive players get into the rim so frequently. So that's problematic. Um, but take a quick break from the pod. Talk about our sponsors at the King Cobra. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, you can check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. Um, and Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all on all products, enter the code Trust the Cobra 10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Let's go back to Harden a little bit. A lot of people concerned about Harden. Are you concerned? I think I think if I remember correctly, you were in the camp. People concerned about James Harden. Well, let's quantify concerns, right? Because my concerns are more long term, contextually. When we yeah. talk about a contract extension, I think when you look at the player and you try to understand what that money is going to look like for the next five years, there are clear signs of a player slowing down. I mean. His ability, he can't turn a corner on guys anymore, certain guys anymore that he probably should. Um, and you can clearly tell at the rim, even though he's finishing much better at the rim with the Sixers, but you can tell like the elevator is one level below. Before he used to get up and just jam on guys, like you can't do that anymore. So to me, the physical aspect of it um, is concerning for the long haul. But you're talking about asking me for the next, for this year, for next year, uh, my concerns are harder, almost zero. I mean, I know the shot hasn't particularly uh, been great, but, man, you watch the guy. He's just a, a wizard, man, like an absolute wizard. I mean, he has been all over the Sixers' uh, offense uh, output with that starting five. He's able to create angles. I mean, the partnership that he has with Embiid, that pick and roll is unstoppable. I mean, especially the way that Embiid is diving and, and kind of showing himself as a, as a rim runner. Um, so I think from what I expected from Harden offensively in particular, it's been everything that I expected, perhaps even more. I thought perhaps he would struggle a little bit more early on in his, in his timing with the Sixers. So I've been very happy with his performance offensive. I think all the numbers with that starting five suggest, um, a potent, absolute elite group up there with Phoenix up there with whoever you want to throw up there, that starting five. So uh, I'm very confident that it's going to work for this year and for next year. Uh, but long term, I'm that's I am concerned about that. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. So Harden shooting has been a little bit down, um, obviously since he joined the Sixers. It's worth pointing out that he still has an effective field goal of fifty one point one, which is still in the top sixty percent for his um, for 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 guards. Um, his threes are thirty five percent, not great. At the rim, he's at sixty three percent, which is pretty good, but not like what he can do at his peak. Um, I do like that he's really, for the most part, cut the mid-range game out. Like he's only taken a couple of long twos. I think he's only made one or two of them. Um, but most of it is high difficulty step back threes because he can't get around guys. Yeah. Last night he did a better job of getting around guys. Like he blew Robert Covington off the court. And Robert Covington is one of the most overrated defenders I think I've ever yeah. seen. On ball defense, absolutely. But, but, 
still like he he one swift crossover, boom, at the basket. And and, and I think about last night, the reason he got to the line so much was because he was able to manipulate the speeds a little bit. He he wasn't he was he was able to lull you a little bit on the perimeter and then get around you with with quick bursts. Which well, was this is like something. Sorry, this is something I want to talk because I, I watch a lot of Atlanta because I like Trey Young a lot. Like they involve Trey Young in a ton of pick and roll. I mean, Terry has over fourteen pick and roll possessions a game, and Harden is only about six with the Sixers. I think there's an opportunity to get more out of Harden offensive, but I know the Sixers are anchored on Embiid and Harris and different style of play style, but just getting him in pick and rolls and having his passing create for other guys on the team because that's what Atlanta's based on. Atlanta's a elite offensive team when Trey Young is on the court, and it's 95% driven from Trey Young pick and roll. I mean, he maneuvers guys. His passing, his vision is insane, and I see Harden as the same type of player, uh, but he doesn't get as many opportunities as the Sixers. So doing a little bit less of, you know, just drive up the court, pull up from whatever, and hope it goes in, and getting more involved in pick and roll. Actually, I think the Sixers would be more even more effective offensively uh, because sometimes it just gets too stagnant. Just, you know, 15 seconds on the clock, I'm going to just throw up a three and see if it goes in or not. So I don't know what you think about that, but I'd like to see more pick and roll stuff with him. For sure. I, I, I agree. I think part of that is, like, they don't have great screeners. Um, in like Embiid's like they're like all of their screeners that are not named Embiid are pretty much one trick ponies as screeners. Like Tobias is gonna pick and pop, uh, Thibel's gonna like do something, who knows? <laughs> um, Embiid can do either, but like they, they don't really have like a big athletic guy who can you can like slip screen to the basket and, 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 and do different things. So I can see why they're maybe not a great pick and roll team. I still think that they don't do as much pick and roll with him as they should. Um, but I think sort, sort of the downside with Harden is when his legs are bad, his shot is short and he takes very difficult shots. So when he misses, the other team is getting out and they're pushing it and they're, and they're running. And that makes him a very high risk player sometimes. Uh, but it also makes him incredible when he's on a hot streak like he was last night in the first half. Um, ultimately, I think Maxi's emergence is something that really makes the long-term Harden risk more tolerable. Um, because even if Harden – like, so I, I don't know if this is just me having experienced the Jimmy Butler thing a couple summers ago, but – I'm still like I'm still very much in the camp of let's wait and see if he does it for like let's let's wait until he is signed here long term before we like start concerning ourselves with that. But I do think that like hey his legs are gonna go like there's gonna be time when he can't when he can't get around anybody um, unless he starts taking care of his body like Chris Paul or LeBron does. But knowing his habits, I don't know if that's never gonna happen. Yeah, people brought up the Chris Paul thing. I'm like. Yeah. They're two different players, man. Yeah, yeah. The one, one invests multiple millions per year to take care of himself. The other one goes to clubs every night. So. Work like that. <laughs> um, but if Harden can reconcile that he's getting older at some point and work on shooting off the catch and relocation and really be willing to let Maxi dial up the on ball stuff, I think there can be a more smooth transition into his uh, end stage of his career. And do you know what he's shooting? What he's averaging spot up this year for the Sixers? No, what is it? One point two six points per spot up, which is really good. Really it's good. phenomenal. It's one of the best marks. I mean, low volume, right? Extremely yeah. low volume. But you see the the output as a spot up guy. Like it's there. It's just a matter of accepting it. Yeah. Um, 
I still don't trust the Sixers' depth. Um, I think the matter in which they win games is, except for last night and like the the Timberwolves game for the most part, and a couple of the blowouts in between. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm still like not convinced of this team because of what happened with Denver and what happened with um, the Nets. Like I think if, if if you can get them out in transition, you you can beat them pretty easily. Yeah. Um, but the transition game will slow down the playoffs because there aren't as many live ball turnovers. There aren't as many missed shots. Um, I right now, so if if let's say let's just say that Vegas has them as a as a four seed or as the fourth best team in the East right now, are you higher on than them on that or or lower? I'm just saying hypothetically. Higher, much higher. You're not. <sighs> wow, you're really down six or something. <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. I thought before the trade they were like the sixth or the seventh best team. Yeah, I agree. I think now the backup minutes and just the inability to get back in transition are crippling issues. And I think that makes if if one of those was gone, I'd say they're top two in the ace pretty easily. But those are two glaring weaknesses. And as much top end talent as the Sixers have. They have some very glaring weaknesses down the roster. They do, uh, but so do most teams. And I think, you know, it's still to me the question is how can you stop Joel Embiid? I mean, that's really where I land with the Sixers. And I don't see many guys, many schemes out there that have been consistently uh, holding down Embiid over the last two years. So uh, that's where I kind of. I completely agree with them as roster construction, coaching deficiencies, uh, the gaps they have in their play style. It's crippling. I mean, absolutely crippling. But you get on a Joel Embiid run, and there's really nothing Milwaukee can do, Brooklyn can do, Boston can do to really slow him down. Uh, and I think that's you know where I'm at with the Sixers. So I think in that two, three ranges where I think I would slot him, we talked about it in the podcast, uh, and I'm fairly confident, like, if they avoid that Brooklyn-Milwaukee path, they're Eastern Conference team. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I'll be willing to put money on that right now. I would say right now that Milwaukee-Boston Sixers. You're down on Brooklyn, man. I'm telling you. I don't know. Never bet against Kevin Durant, man. <laughs> well, I think it's more so that they have too many questions. Yeah, but some of it's going to get answered. Kyrie's going to be able to play. And I get the, the playing game. You might not even make it through that. But once you do, you got Kyrie and KD. And who knows, maybe Ben. Okay, so maybe – because so, it's fine. Maybe I'll put this up. Yeah, I put the Nets in front of the Sixers. The Nets makes them the fourth-best team in the East. Yeah. <laughs> so is this – I don't know if this is a hot take or not. But I think Harden's defense – like – Not terrible. <laughs> what? It's not terrible. People are like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think it's that terrible. Like, he, he, there, you can clearly see when he doesn't try. Like, he doesn't get back trying to, he doesn't try. Doesn't there are times when he, like, puts a very <laughs> fake closeout on guys and just, like, we'll, we'll let oh, them yeah. try him. But there were a couple of possessions in recent games where I was like, he's trying to defend here. And, like, absolutely. He's like, and he, and he's not doing the worst job ever. Austin, you can tell about a minute into the game. If it's going to be a James Harden game or it's not going to be a James Harden game. <laughs> like last night, a minute in, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a James Harden game. Yeah, a couple of games ago, you're like, 
might as well watch like a rerun of some show because he's taking tonight off. <laughs> and that's he's always been his career, man. Like how about, how, how about the Sixers and Harden just like surviving both the both the off nights in LA? Just two oh, nights in LA. I, they got through them, didn't have to work. There was there, oh, there, there, there was no there was no uh there was no hangover from the previous night. It, what, what guys? Well wow. I, I was surprised. I'm like, this guy's in LA for a week. Yeah. There's no way he's playing last night. Like, he's yeah. going to do his standard, like, 10 shots, kind of walk around on defense. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tiago, where can they find you? Uh, so, Painted Lines, right? Website, right for them. We also do podcasting. I know once the Eagles draft winds down, the Sixers playoffs are going to ramp back up, and we'll be doing a lot of the, the live stuff on, on that post game in particular. So, look out for that. That's right. You can find me at the Painted Lines as well. I cover the Sixers on the beat for – that website. I also c- cover the NBA for USA Today. You can find me there. Find us both on Twitter. Our usernames are in the tags on your screens. If you're not watching the show, you're listening to it at NBA Krell for me, at Tiago PHL for him. As always, everybody, we appreciate you tuning in. Tiago, have a good have a good night, my friend. You too, man. Take care.